Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 14. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. The king said, Is the hand of Joab with you in all this? <laughs> you and Joab in cahoots huh? and the woman answered and said as you live my lord the king no one can turn to the right hand or to the left from anything that my lord the king has spoken for your servant Joab commanded me and he put all these words in my mouth of your maid servant well she just kind of she blabbed it all she spilt the beans she said I'm going to tell it all He put the words in my mouth to bring about this change of affairs. Your servant Joab has done this thing, but my Lord is wise according to the wisdom of the angel of God to know everything that is in the earth. And the king said to Joab, all right, I've granted this thing. Go, therefore, bring back the young man Absalom. Then Joab fell to the ground on his face and bowed himself and thanked the king. And Joab said, today your servants know that I have found favor in your sight. My Lord, O king, in that the king has fulfilled the request of his servant. And so Joab arose and he went to Gersher and he brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, let his return to his, let him return to his own house. Verse 24 is pretty fascinating. Let him return to his own house. But do not let him see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house, but did not see the king's face. Stop right there, saints. David said, my turn. David is going to ask the woman, is Joab's hand involved in this? Of course, David said, this smells fishy. I know the smell of that general. The woman said, as you live, my lord, the king, no one can turn to the right or to the left from anything from the king has spoken for your servant. Joab put me up to this. He put the words in my mouth. He put a held a gun to my back to bring about a change in your relationship with your son. That's why, David, you are wise according to the wisdom of an angel to know everything. In verse 21, Joab must have been standing there looking guilty. The king said to Joab, all right. I've granted this thing. I gave pardon to her son, but I haven't given pardon to my own son. Okay, y'all got me. Bring back Absalom. You would think that David would get on his horse and get on his chariot and go get his son, wouldn't you? Remember, he hadn't seen him in how many years? Uh, so he sends Joab. Now that's telling. 
Joab fell to the ground, bowed himself, thanked the king, and said, Today your servants know that I have found favor in your sight, because the king has fulfilled the request of his servants. So Joab went to Gersher, and he brought Absalom to Jerusalem, and David said, Let him go to his own house, but I don't want to see his face. So Absalom went to his own house, but he did not see the king's face. Now listen, remember, the sword shall never depart from David's house. is continuing. David knows it's right to bring Absalom back, but David is under so much conviction, he won't even talk to him. David is probably still hurting really bad to know one son is killed, the other one is is coming back, and his daughter is still hurt, and David is probably hurt. But I'll tell you something about David, and I've said this before. David is a man after God's own heart, but he's still a man. Somebody once said, God's men are men at best. God's men are men at best. David is very tender, very emotional. So he finds out his son killed his other son and he does nothing. And now his son is home after three years and David doesn't want to see him. This whole scene reminds me of the parable of the prodigal son. You know the story, don't you? Many consider the parable of the prodigal son the greatest story ever told. Barring the Easter story. Uh, certainly, uh, it's one of the most familiar stories ever told. A father, you know, had two sons, and one of them wanted their inheritance, which was like saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me the insurance money. He takes his portion of the insurance, and he wasted in party living. You know the story. The son finally realized that when the money runs out, the friends run out. The son realized that life, you know, uh, life being on your own costs money. The son realized everything that he enjoyed at home for free costs money. The son got out there and realized that cable costs money. Soap costs money. Where my parents at? Food costs money. Heat and cool air costs money. Electric bill does not pay itself. Well, the Bible says while the son was eating pig slop, something amazing happened. He came to his senses. You know what? Isn't that how it works? When you pay your own bills, all of a sudden you come to your senses, don't you? When they in your house, they leave the refrigerator open. Put the air on high, leave the windows open, leave the front door open, don't sweep the floor, leave leave stuff in the sink, don't even clean clean up the dishes behind themselves. Man, when they get, I've seen it happen, you get their own apartment, they're like, oh, you got to leave your shoes on the outside of the door, you can't, oh, you can't come up in here with no shoes on, no, we don't do that. Well, when the dolls change us? You know, I start speaking in Elizabethan English when that happens. When didst thou changeth? Howeth that happeneth? Thou wasn't liketh that at my hometh. Thou art a different person. It's true. He came to his senses, the Bible tells us, almost like waking, waking up from a bad dream. And I like to point this out. He didn't join a I left the good life for the bad life self-help group. He didn't seek to repair his inner child. He didn't blame his dad or his mom or his family or friends or even blame, blame the pigs. 
He finally woke up and saw things as they really were, and he went back to his father. Listen close. It wasn't the badness of his life that brought him to his senses. It was the goodness of his father. Please get this from that story, because people butcher that story, and it drives me nuts. Okay, I'm back. It wasn't the badness of his life that brought him to his senses. It was the goodness of his father. He realized how good he had it with his father. And this is consistent with scriptures. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering? Not knowing that the... Y'all come on, read it with me. The goodness of God leads you to repentance... This is, listen, this is what I want you to know. While the son is on his way home, rehearsing what he is going to say, he decides, I'm going to go home. He's on his way home, rehearsing what he's going to say to his father. And while, read your Bible. And while he is still at a great distance, the Bible says the father saw the son, which then implies the father was looking out the window every day to see if the son came home. I love that. It tells us God didn't give up on us. So the father, representing God, the father is looking out for the son. He sees him coming up over the distance and the father ran out to the son. Now, in the Jewish culture, it is completely inappropriate for a father to run. It's inappropriate. It's culturally inappropriate. So the father takes off running to meet his son and he hugged him and he kissed him. And actually that's the only time in the Bible you'll see God running. The father ran to his son, kissed him, restored him. Let me just say to you, if you're a prodigal, God is saying to you as well, come home. He's looking for you to come home. Well, sadly, David didn't come to his son. He didn't come to his son. Look at verse 25. Now, in all of Israel, so y'all ain't think I was going to cover this whole chapter tonight, did y'all? See that? I can do all things through Christ. Mm-hmm. I know y'all don't have faith in me, but God does. Look at, look at verse 25. Now, all Israel there was no one, in all of Israel there was no one who was praised as much as Absalom for his good looks. From the sole of his feet to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. And when he cut his hair, the hair of his head, at the end of every year, he cut it because it was so heavy. When he cut it, it weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels, according to the king's standard. To Absalom was born three sons and one daughter whose name was Tamar. And she was a beautiful girl, a beautiful little girl. Beautiful appearance. And Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem, but did not see the king's face. And therefore Absalom sent for Joab to send him to the king, but he would not come to him. And when he sent again the second time to Joab, he still didn't come to him. So he, Absalom, sent to his servants and said, See, Joab's field is nearby. It's near mine. He has barley there. Servants, I want y'all to go set that field on fire. And Absalom's servant set the field on fire. And then Joab arose and came to Absalom and said, Why did your servant set my field on fire? 
and asked him and to Joab, look, I sent to you saying, come here so that I may send you to the king to say, why have I come from Gersher? It would have been better for me to be still be there. Now, therefore, let me see the king's face. But if there is iniquity in me, let him execute me. So Joab went to the king and told him. And when he had called for Absalom, he came to the king and he bowed himself Absalom did, in verse 33, bowed himself on his face to the ground before his father, and then the king kissed Absalom. Now stop right there. Listen, there's no doubt who uh, was the most beautiful, the most good-looking guy in all of Israel. I'm not really sure why the Old Testament tells us that. The Holy Spirit wanted us to know that. Not really sure. Maybe because that's the very same reason why they chose Saul because of his outward appearance. Maybe. I don't know. But they tell us, the Bible tells us that he was good looking in appearance. He was like the Fabio of the Old Testament, I guess. <laughs> I'm working here, people. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, the Bible tells us there was no blemish. In verse 26, Absalom cut his hair every year and he weighed it and it weighed 200 shekels according to the king's weight. So every year he cut six pounds of his hair. He had to think about it. Two years, 12 pounds, three years, 18 pounds, four years, 16 pounds of hair. Man, he looked like cousin it after four years. I mean, he had to cut his hair. So when we get to chapter 18, this is really interesting. Check this out. When we get to chapter 18, Absalom is so proud of his beautiful thick hair that that pride in that hair cost him his life. I don't want to give you the spoiler alert, so just wait till we get there and we'll, we'll talk about it then, okay? Verse 27 the apple don't fall far from the tree. Just like David was emotional, so Absalom was a man of deep emotion. Absalom has a daughter, and he names her after his sister, Auntie Tamar, who has been ruined and remains barren and lives in his house. He names his little girl Tamar so he can say, sis, look, this is little Tamar. I think that's very, very cool. In verse 28, Absalom lived in Jerusalem for two years and didn't see David's face. And it's during those two years that Absalom grew more and more bitter against David. Do the math. Absalom killed Ammon and took off and was gone for three years. After three years, he comes back to Jerusalem. And for two more years, he didn't see David. So Absalom was content not to see his father's face for five years. And David was obviously holding on to some bitterness and unforgiveness because he didn't call him to see him either. And, you know, it occurred to me, I read this here, and it thought to me, it occurred to me, that too many Christians are content not seeing the king's face. Too many Christians. We're content not seeing the king's face. How do you see his face? You see his face in worship. You see his face in the word. You see his face in fellowship. We get so complacent in this world. We're so earthly minded. We're no heavenly good. And then we say, oh yeah, well, you know, I, I, read, my, I read my Bible and oh yeah, I go to church on Sunday. 
Going to church on Sunday don't make you a Christian. No more than standing in McDonald's makes you a hamburger. <laughs> Write that down. <laughs> We're content not seeing, it, seeing the Lord's face. I, I just want you to really honestly, really seriously think about that for a second. Just stop right there. Think about that. Are you content? Have you been content not seeing the Lord's face? Because I can tell you, you're not seeing his face if you're not spending time in his word. You're not seeing his face if you're not worshiping God. If you're like just mumbling the words, like, like Sunday, a second, I don't know if y'all were here second service, but it was horrible. It was horrible. It was just horrible. It's horrible. So I'm standing, I'm standing over there, and people are like mumbling the words. At least I thought. They were like just singing the words, just like mumbling the words, like saying, just saying the words. It's bothering me. It's bothering me. We might as well not have worship if we're going to stand here and just say the words. And there's no heart. There's no engaging of the heart. There's no engaging of the spirit. There's no engaging of the, of, of the, of the soul. What's the point? This is not song service. This is worship. And in worship, you're supposed to see the king's face. There should be a changing. You, you should be being changed. We, we talked about this already. You should be being changed from glory to glory. Every time you get in the word of God, you should be being changed a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more like Jesus. And when you don't worship God or you don't read your Bible or you just kind of read it and go, well, I ain't getting none out of that. Oh, shut the book. Or you just... You know what I'm talking about. I don't need to tell you. You know it better than I do. You're being content not to see the Lord's face. Not to see the king's face. Absalom, for five years, was content not seeing the king's face. Five years. Do you know what five years of not worshiping God and not fellowshipping and not engaging in worship and not engaging in other Christians, do you know what that will do to your life? It will wreck your life. Satan wants to wreck your life. You should understand this Christian life thing is a battle. It's not a playground. It's a battleground. And why do we act like it's a playground? When we're, well, it's a battleground. You have got to intentionally fight to hold your ground as a Christian. Because Satan is trying to knock you off mark. Anything he can do. You have no idea. I've never told you and I never will. What we had to go through to get here to North Carolina. Unbelievable. Satan did everything he could to throw every single thing he could throw at us. To keep us from, from coming here. And we kept moving and kept moving and kept moving and kept moving. Oh, forget about that. Whatever happens with that, forget about that. Keep moving and keep moving and keep moving. Because I knew this is where God has called us to. And whenever God's doing a work, I'm waiting while you clap your hands. Whenever God's doing a work, you can count on Satan trying to stop you from doing it. Anything, 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 anything. We are not ignorant of the Satan's devices, are we? Yeah, we are. Yeah, yeah, we are. 
At least we act like we are. We let them steal our joy. Just like that. Yeah, take it. Just like that. We let them discourage us. Sure, why not? Go ahead. Discourage me. Take my joy. Don't want to come to church? I don't feel like going to church today. I just don't feel like going to church. Sometimes you got to make yourself. You have to make yourself. You got to make yourself do what it is that God has called you to do. Make yourself do it. And I guarantee you, when you make up your mind that you're going to make yourself do it, all of a sudden a grace comes upon you and you find yourself doing that thing with joy, unspeakable, and you, you love it. You love it. You love it. But you can make an excuse why you, why you can't do it and you won't do it. And you will miss out on God's blessings. I'm trying to help you tonight. I'm, I'm trying to help you. You will miss out on God's blessings if you don't say to yourself, I will serve God. I will do what God's called me to do, and I won't let anything stop me. Nothing will get away in the way between me and the Father. Nothing will cause me to get away from not seeing his face. It's not good it's not healthy and it will only lead to your destruction you can't do it saints i've been walking with the lord for 33 years and i tell you and been preaching for 28 and i've not found there's no shortcut trust me if there was one pastor Ryder would have found it because i is smart <laughs> There's no shortcut. There really is none. Content not seeing the king's face. Absalom sends for Joab, verse 29. No response. He sends again for Joab. No response. Absalom said, I know how to get his attention. He told his servant. I told you this is one of the chapters that's got twist and turn. He told his servants to go burn his barley fields, and that got his attention. He came to ask him, he said, what is wrong with you? Why did you send your servants to burn my field? And I get the, actually, I get the impression they had a really good relationship, because you don't burn General Joab's field, okay? <laughs> this is what you won't do, Okay. What you won't do is burn General Joab's field, okay? So I get the impression they had a good relationship, probably friendly. Verse 32, Absalom said, because I called you twice and you didn't pick up and I even sent you a text and you wouldn't text me back. Absalom said, look, I want you to go to my father and I want you to ask him, why did he bring me from Gersher? It would have been good for me to be there still. I was living with my grandfather. My grandmother was cooking. Everything was fine. I was getting fat. Everything was getting fine. Why did he bring me back here from there? It's been two years. Let me see the king's face. And if there be any iniquity in me, let him kill me. Now, what do you mean, if there be any iniquity in you? Of course there is iniquity in you, you self-righteous murderer. Of course there's iniquity in you. Now, you might be thinking, that's nice of Absalom to want to reconcile. But listen, there's something else going on here, saints. Look at verse 33. Joab goes to David and intercedes for Absalom. So finally, after the three years, David and Absalom are face to face. Absalom walks in and gave the proper respect and David kissed Absalom. Now, don't let the word kiss mislead you. 
This was a formal ritualistic greeting. And the clue is what is not said. There are no tears of repentance. There's no asking of forgiveness. There's not even an explanation. This doesn't even seem like a joyous reunion. It's just kind of cold formality. And I'll tell you why. Because Absalom wants everything to appear good. Because Absalom is going to try to usurp the authority of the throne. How do I know that? Chapter 15, look at verse 1. Read just a little bit, then I'm going to let you all out, okay? Look at verse 1. After this, it happened that Absalom proved. We're just going to read, then we're going to go, and we'll come back and talk about it. After this happened, Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom would rise up early and stand beside the gate. And so it was whenever anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision that Absalom would call to him and say, what city are you from? And he would say, your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. And then Absalom would say to him, look, your case is good and right, but there's no deputy of the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, oh, that I might that I were made judge in the land and everybody who had any lawsuit or cause could just come to me because I'm always available and the king's not available. Then I would give him justice. And so it was whenever anybody came near to bow before him, the king that he would put out his hand and take him. And kiss him. And in this manner, Absalom acted toward all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom, what did he do, saints? Stole the hearts of the men of Israel. There's motive and mayhem ensuing. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.